This episode of Query is sponsored by Wild Fang. Wild Fang made these awesome red velvet pants I wore to a wedding recently. Check them out on my Insta. They also made these awesome blue pants I recently wore to Vulture Fest in Los Angeles. Check them out on my Twitter. Friends, Wild Fang, they got pants. Head over to wildfang.com and use the code QUERY for 25% off. That's wildfang, W-I-L-D-F-A-N-G dot com. Female founded, women run, offering gender smashing styles like the pants I wear. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. If you listen in the States, this last week was Thanksgiving, and... Yes, it's a good time to reflect on colonialism, but also a good time to think about family. Family can be so tough if you're part of the LGBT community, family of origin anyway, because, hey, there's a lot of shit that can go wrong there, on their side. Not on ours, we're perfect. Friends, I just want to remind you, if this holiday season is tough for you, you are my family. I am thankful for you this year, and please enjoy this episode with Sarah Kate Ellis, the president of GLAAD. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty political. Hey, have a great week. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Hey, you know, I always start the show by having guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Um, hi, my name is Sarah Kate Ellis. I'm the president and CEO of GLAAD. And for those who might not know, GLAAD is an LGBTQ media advocacy organization. We're 33 years old, just last month. So, And how long have you been at GLAAD? I've been there almost five years. Yep. And prior to being at GLAAD, I was in media. So um, I was running a bunch of different magazines at different, some at Condé Nast, some at Time Inc., you know, for a couple of decades. And can I ask what magazines? Sure. <laughs> you most certainly can. I started my career relaunching Condé Nast House and Garden, which has since folded. Um, but and then I was at New York magazine, In Style magazine. I've heard of it. Yeah. I've heard of In Style also. Yes. <laughs> then I spent a very long time at Real Simple magazine. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yes. Making life easier for women. And then I went to Vogue for a little while. And um, back to real simple. It was, you know, the magazine industry a little bit. In, back in the old days, in the heydays, you would jump around and go to different magazines. And then um, I, was, I wanted to leave the magazine industry. And actually, my wife and I got pregnant on the exact same day. And so we had um, simultaneous pregnancies and experienced that. And when I was at Real Simple Magazine, the editor-in-chief of the magazine cornered me and said, I really want to do a story on you and Kristen and these uh, babies, you know, your pregnancies. And so I talked to Kristen. Kristen's in a rock band, so she's used to being a public person. I wasn't, and I was very apprehensive. But I also worked at the magazine, and I knew it reached 8 million women, primarily in the middle of the country. And so I thought, it's important to get this story out there and share our lives, um, knowing that that changes hearts and minds. So I agreed to it. And we we had a reporter and a photographer who followed us through our nine months of pregnancy and would check in with us. And the reporter was amazing, the journalist. And she said, I really think you two should write a book. And um, so she introduced us. To this her is a coffee delivery. Thank coffee. you. <laughs> Thank you. She introduced you to her coffee delivery person. Yes. And then Thank I, you. coffee came. Thank yeah. you. So she introduced us to her agent. Mm-hmm. And he said he loved the idea. And um, so he shopped the idea around. I mean, he wrote the proposal. He shopped the idea around. And we ended up going with Simon & Schuster. So we wrote a book about our pregnancies 
and and that was kind of my foray into public advocacy. Yeah, what was your role at the magazine at that time? Like, I was the head of marketing um, for. At that time, it was called the Lifestyle Group. So it was about thirteen brands: some digital, some print. Well, and that's like, I mean, that is also that's very behind the scenes. I mean, like, yes. that's I'm understanding what you're saying here in terms of like, you know, certainly in a powerful person making decisions, but definitely not. Your face. No. Yeah. Yeah. And that Never. was not a comfortable yeah. position for me to be outwardly facing. Um, I was very private, actually. And um, but my wife, because she was public, helped push me along. Yeah, I know. I have seen this band. You should you should tell folks the band that your that your wife is in. Oh, my, yes, she's the um, she's in the band Antigone Rising. I saw them open for the Stones. <gasps> you you were at that show. Which I, show? I was in Chicago. I was at that show. Oh wow! Yes, yeah. that yeah. was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah it was, I was amazing. Backstage at the oh, wow. Stone show. Yeah. How cool is that? It's extremely cool. Yeah, yeah. like walking past Keith Richards. Yeah. I was like, oh hi, <laughs> just me. <laughs> yeah, there was a period of time where my mom. Um, was she did a very cool thing um i was living out of town i was living in boston she was living in chicago and she would like for for gifts for holidays or birthdays or whatever she'd either buy me tickets to like the same concert like like the tour she'd go in chicago and then buy me tickets in boston so we could talk about it fun or a couple times she also flew me in and that was like the whole like for christmas it was like stones tickets and then like you know southwest flight or whatever and it was uh extremely good idea so i that's I a went great with idea yeah. yeah to do something like that with your kids yeah it was yeah. it was pretty cool what else did we see i saw saw madonna with her we saw another show uh anyway but yeah good job mom yeah. that's good parenting right yes excellent parenting yeah and it, i mean also like a good way of uh directing funds to like something that is experiential lifelong memory not like you know, frivolous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and it's music. It's art. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, I might take a note from that. <laughs> it's yeah. I really loved it. I, I mean, I still I still think about. Yeah, I would that. see why. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so. Yeah, I saw those. I saw that show. Small, just like a small moment in someone's life. It's always nice to witness just a really small moment where they're playing a stadium with the Stones. Where you're like, I don't know. I had this feeling the other day watching the World Series. I'm a Dodger fan, and the Red Sox were about to win. But you, Sorry, and I'm like, and it's sad. Not... But there's also a moment you're watching somebody pitch, and you're just like, this this out right here that's crushing me is like the best moment of this person's life, life, and I can't right? believe I get to watch it. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Anyway, um, yeah. So you you wrote this book together. What's the book called? Um, Times two, um, and it's I think it published in what year? It. Uh, Babies like even were if you're born vague. in 2009. I think it published in 2011. Um, so it's on Amazon, and it, it's a cute book. It's really sweet. Um, and it was funny because we wrote the book. We handed it in. Neither of us are authors, although she's a writer because she writes her own songs. So there, there is a there's an artistry to that as well. Um, and so she was our lead writer, and and they got the book and. Or the first draft, and they said, "Well, there's nothing. There's no background on you two. And I was like, "I didn't want to really talk about me. I just wanted to talk about the pregnancy." So they made us go back and really flesh out the beginning part of the book and talk about our coming out stories and all of that, which was, you know, for me it was like coming out again. Right. It was it was rough. Are you any more comfortable with that now in this job? I guess I just would think because like there actually is kind of a public element. Not kind of. There's a public element to what you do, not just being like the CEO, but I also think when you're working in an advocacy organization, um, especially at the top, like you kind of have to be personal. To. Like that really, I think, is true. Yes. Is that your experience? It, oh, absolutely. And it's a media advocacy. So I have to right. jump on a TV show or very public-facing moments. Um, and talk about, I would think, why it matters to you. Like, I think you have, I mean, you know, you're talking about statistics and stuff, but I also think you have to be you in that yes. moment. And I think, you know, for me, all of that, working in media and being pushed to share my own personal story, um, definitely readied me for this position um, and made me um, able to speak about my story and and be out there and front facing. I was always at marches. Like my mom put me on the bus for 
the you know pro-choice march back <laughs> years and decades ago. And so I was always an activist uh, from my early days, but to be front-facing activism, I think it you know, I felt it's so important and having children actually is what spurred it for me. I wanted to make sure that I was contributing to making the world a better and safer place for my kids, especially because they have two moms. Um, whether or not they identify within the LGBTQ community or not, they still have two moms. And it's my job bringing them into this world to make sure that I'm creating a better world for them. And so the fear and the the love of being an introvert sort of melts away because of that. Um, I think a lot of parents can feel that way. Once they, once you bring a life into this world, it's your job to, to make sure that you're making the world a better place. And so that's how I approach my work at GLAAD, too, is really when I think about the work that we do on a daily basis, whether it be last week uh, when the, when, you know, there was this talk of, the Trump administration trying to erase trans people. It it is about like this next generation. What what world are we leaving them and building for them? Your your movement there is you know really personal to you, but it also strikes me that that's something that a lot of folks are having to make the choice to do right now. Um, that maybe weren't as and I don't mean like out like there's out and then there's. Um, you know, out. And, <laughs> and that's like, uh, and that, that feels, um, especially for adults who are in a position of, okay, I've got my job and I'm not a depend, I'm not dependent on someone else for a place to live. Like I don't have uh, danger of being kicked out of my house. Like mm. there's a moment right now where I think as I tour, I just feel, um, the queer folks in my audience are just really amped right now. I think that a lot of people are having this feeling of like stepping forward and kind of claiming space and identity in mm -hmm. a public way. And I think, you know, I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but for myself, knowing that I came from a place of privilege, even though I'm a woman and I'm a lesbian, I still, I'm white. I grew up in an affluent or an upper middle class family, so I had privilege. I didn't know it was privilege at the time growing up, but I can sense differences. You know, I was a lifeguard at public um, in the. I was a lifeguard at public pools in New York City, and you know, but went to private school, and so I could see there was a different. There were different lives happening in the same world, in the same city, and it didn't seem fair to me. And so I think that if you are given any privilege or platform, you should grab it, especially at this time in the world, because there are people that don't have a platform, that don't have privilege. And if we're not the voice for everyone and for those people, then you're doing this country a disservice and you're doing the community a disservice. Um, so you do have to push yourself. And I think people are compelled at this moment in time. Um, there's a lot threatening the LGBTQ community or any marginalized community in this country right now. And coming together and speaking out and using our platforms to do that is more important than ever. Yeah, I agree with you. I also think because every marginalized community is also um, housed within our family, you know, because we yes. because we touch and include every marginalized community. It's important to remember that. And I I think that you're right. It's interesting because we focus and I don't. I don't think this is negative, but, you know, like I think about something like National Coming Out Day, which is very like it feels youth focused or it feels like um, and then, you know, I always try to say something like if it's safe for you, because obviously there's the danger of somebody coming out at a time it's not safe for them, then they're Absolutely. unhoused, you know, like th that's very real in our community. Um, so I try to like protect that pressure on young people. Yes. Um, but I do think that like we're in a moment right now. I mean, I guess I feel like if if you're somebody like me, if you work in the entertainment industry and um, you're worried about, for instance, um, jobs, but mm -hmm. you already have a career going on, I would say maybe this is a moment where protecting your individual career, to me, I have a little less compassion for that um, as a compelling force. I understand. We all want to, like, work really hard. We all want to get as far as we possibly can, like... 
you know, I get it. Um, but I, I also just, I think I have a little less compassion for that now than I would have in the past. It's yeah. just a real important moment to, yeah, be with your family. This is. Yeah. Mm. Well, I also think that there's been a shift um, within culture where for growing up, different was bad. That's right. And it was frowned upon. And so you were um, taught, and I went through the Catholic school system too. Me too. Eight years. Uh, oh, um, from from first grade till I graduated from college. Oh, see, I refused <laughs> going into high school. I like put my foot down. And uh, fortunately, my parents listened. Um, but that was, so I think that that different was bad. And now different isn't so bad. Different is is more celebrated than it has in the past. I'm not going to say fully celebrated, not even close. But um, so there's a little bit more leeway, I would say, in more urban areas. I, I, I don't want to overgeneralize here uh, because I, I think that, we do tend to live, um, I do, in more urban, and I travel to more urban areas like L.A. or New York or Atlanta, um, which tend to be more progressive. Um, and and so it's not as bad to be different now um, that as it was when we were growing up. Not true for everybody. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that if you're an immigrant right now, it's it's really good to be different at all. Yeah. Um, so I, I say that cautiously. But I I think it's really important also at this time. In the olden days, um, you didn't have a platform as a kid growing up someplace. You had no platform. And now in, with social media and the internet, you have a way to connect with other people and you have a, the ability to create a platform and a following. And it's really important to do that in this day and age um, and use social media for social good and to help compel this country to move forward in a progressive and positive way. You know, speaking of moving forward in a progressive and positive way, we were just talking in the hall before we were on air that, you know, you must be under a lot of pressure right now. It's uh, midterms are coming up. But also, I mean, I guess I would also assume like GLAD is always under a lot of pressure because you're like – because advocacy is, is hard work. Um, but does it feel really different doing your job right now? It, um, yes, it does. The short answer is yes. I think there is a tremendous amount of pressure for the upcoming midterms and which way they're going to go and what that means for the country and for the community. And, um, you know, Billie Jean King once said to me that pressure is a privilege. And I, I keep that in mind a lot because there because that means that you have you have the ability to do something to inform someone or something, and um, so I th I think pressure is good, and the pressure on Glad is always good because it keeps us focused and it keeps us moving in the right direction. Um, but yeah, you know I'm a human person, I'm a person sure. too, <laughs> and I am concerned. I'm very concerned about the midterm elections. I think people are really participating. And um, getting out there and hopefully people who are pro-equality um, are voting in the midterms. But I think a lot rides on this midterm as to the direction of this democracy. And more specifically, can you tell me a little bit about what GLAD – because we've been talking and, like, I know this, but I'm just realizing, like, what is – so, like, what does GLAD actually do? Yeah. Tell me, like – in a, and then, you know – what do you do generally, and like how might it be different right now? But we can we can deal with that as two separate questions. What, what yeah? What does Glad do? So Glad's primary job is to accelerate acceptance for the LGBTQ community, and the vision of Glad is a hundred percent acceptance for LGBTQ people. And the way that we do that is through media because it's the most effective and efficient way to change hearts and minds. So our job at Glad is to make sure that people know who LGBTQ people are and our story because it humanizes people and um, it accelerates acceptance. And so, you know, we are most known for our work in Hollywood 
But as I said at the beginning, we were founded 33 years ago here in New York City, and our first protest was against the New York Post and their coverage of the AIDS crisis and demonizing gay men. And at the same time, we opened a chapter in Los Angeles because as we were fighting the coverage in New York in journalism and in the news on AIDS, on the AIDS crisis, we also realized that we needed Hollywood to start telling our stories to humanize us, to include us in scripts, to include us in movies and TV shows. So um, we those are our two main ways of changing hearts and minds. And we do it very, it, it, you know, it happens in many different ways. And a lot of times we're, we're often behind the scenes. We're most famous for if we get into a dust up with somebody, sometimes it's a celebrity, sometimes it's a show or but but a lot of our work is consultative now with Hollywood and with newsrooms. Yeah. And so like the dust up thing kind of looks like um, the organization calling out like, you know, uh, particularly awful casting mm-hmm. in, in a way that doesn't actually accurately represent anybody or, um, you know, like a demonizing storyline. Exactly. That kind of thing. And then the consulting is um somebody's writing a script they want to have a queer character they don't know what a queer character actually would do in x y or z situation mm-hmm. so you, so someone from the organization is coming in and providing information absolutely so we're probably embedded at any given time in about a dozen or so productions out of Hollywood. And within that, we do everything from script consultations, like you're talking about. We'll we'll do a first read on a script, give our notes back. We'll do casting. We help with casting. A lot of times if they're looking for someone who's queer or they're looking for someone who's trans, we know a lot of people in young actors um, who are coming up in the business and will help with that. And so, um, and then what we do do is we do the Glad Media Awards, which is... I've been there. You've been there. I've hosted it. Yes, you have, <laughs> which is our way of rewarding really good work. And and so our our barometer for good work is fair and accurate representation. It doesn't have to be positive because there are very sad stories coming out of the LGBTQ community too. So it's always important. People think it has to be like happy gay people, and it doesn't. It, it needs no, to be fair and accurate. No, but just not like murderous. Yeah, yeah. Like a mur- a, mur- a person who's just murderous because of their identity. Buffalo Bill from yes. So <laughs> from Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. I mean, we had a real rash of like when they were actually depicting gay people. It was always as serial killers, right? Or they were being killed. We always used to say we were either the butt of the joke or we were we were killing people or being killed. And so expanding that and and our our new um, where we are on TV, we measure television, streaming content, and the movies annually to see where we are as a community. And our new where we are on TV report just came out, and it's been the best ever. So I think Hollywood is really getting it right. We need more because we're at 8.8% of Shows And what I always say is that, you know, if LGBTQ people are everywhere, we're in your office, we're in your families, we're in, you know, we're your mail carriers, we're your grocers and your deli workers, we're everywhere. And so we should be integrated into all different stories. Um, And so seeing more representation this year for the first time, we actually are seeing – more people of color LGBTQ representation than ever before, which we're very excited about, and um, gender parity, which we've seen before, but as many LGBTQ women as men. So that's nice. And there's um, also like some like non-binary uh, characters that are popping up, played also by like non-binary actors. Yes. Like there's some really interesting, um, a- accurate and reflective moments. Well, I mean, I suppose. One thing that, and just to speak more to what you were talking about, about um, like why this is the easiest way to change hearts and minds, mm-hmm. I was, the the Gina Davis Institute that kind of does, um, you know, some some studies on women, including yes. women in media. Um, Fascinating studies. Really super so. interesting. Yeah. Like actually like so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, one time I was at an event of theirs and they... And 
somebody said something that just like put it all in perspective for me, like why that would be true. They were talking about um, uh, parity in the Senate, like how long it would take to have the an accurate number of. I mean, because we are half women are half the population, yes. so we should be half of the Senate. Um, uh, we should be half of the presidents, you know, whatever. Actually, we're fifty one. So um, anyway, but my point is, uh, <laughs> but for but in terms of like a rate of change for yes. how long it's taken to get the numbers that we have now, it was like, I think it was like 500 years before we would have like parody yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. But the thing about a TV show is that in casting, you could just make the world that you want now. You could yes. make it right now. Yeah. So I think that's also what you're saying in terms of including folks, because we still do live in this time where like, so tra- trans rights are like up for grabs, you know, because oh. of the administration. Yeah. And so um, there are people who still say, you know, like, well, I don't know anybody like this. Yes. Or like, if I met somebody like this, it's going to be scary. It's going to be in like some sort of dark alley, yeah, bathroom and, situation, yeah. whatever. And the truth is, you probably, you probably already do, or you probably have met. Somebody. Most likely, I mean, you know is, someone who's trans, and you, you just don't know this, okay. or you've sat next to them on the plane, and you were fine, and yes. you were fine. Yes. Um, but one way to show that is to have a character like, you know, cult like actually identified mm-hmm. as such played by a trans actor and have that person included in a show, then it's like, then that community starts to reflect a world where trans people and cisgender people are like, oh my God, next to each other. And then even if you're not aware of that in your own life, it's being pointed out to you on TV. Precisely. It just makes a huge difference. Yes, it does. And I think also when when you think about even the gay community and, um, how marginalized we were 20 or 30 years ago and that it it took all these people coming out to show who we were because there were stereotypes about who we were and then you realize oh wow they are moms and they are you know they they're in every part of the country that you live in and um it, it, you know the stereotypes oftentimes take over and and form what your opinion is about people. And so to see people that 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 aren't those stereotypes, that aren't the scary, you know, whatever those things are, um, really helps to democratize it and to open your heart and your mind. What happens if, you know, when, when, some, when, you, <laughs> when Glad sees something or you see something that is like, truly horrifying because that still happens Mm -hmm. um what do you like reach out to the producers to the you know how does that work what's the process there so the first order of business is always to call the people first we want to assume that they didn't do it on purpose right and i think inherently people are good Mm -hmm. um and so we start with a phone call and bringing this to their attention nine out of ten times they don't realize it um, it's not something that's on their, you know, list and in their in their mind. And so oftentimes then they're like, well, how do we fix this? And we work on a plan on how to fix this. Wow. Does yeah. that turn into like like a meeting or like a lunch or something? I'm just imagining getting that call out of the floor, making that call. Yeah. It seems like a it seems like a tough job. Yeah. But um that's also very good that people are receptive. I mean, yes. That's, that's so if you see if you see something with Glad playing out in the media, that's our last that's our last <laughs> ditch effort. Sure. That's not where we go first. Oh man. Oh um, wow. So like that call has gone badly or whatever. Yes. yes. So that call has gone badly or we can't get to an agreement on that. And we represent the community. And so we have to go out in a public facing way to say this isn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. This isn't the way to depict our community. And um and make sure that that is out there so that people who are viewing this TV show, this movie, this script, this book, whatever it is, whatever piece of content it is, um, it now, you know, we we've expanded to social media because of the demands of what's going on there. So YouTube and all these places that where content is being created, we're there to video games. We just uh, for the first time announced that we'll have a video game category at the Glad Media Awards. Oh, wow, cool. Um, because there are so many people that are playing video games and there is such misogyny and homophobia and transphobia that gets done in these 
video games. So so that's a new place that we are as well. But anyway, so we have the conversation and say, this is how you could do it. Um, and we offer suggestions and we work with them. I mean, I we by no means are creative geniuses. We just know the way that our community, who is our community and how they should be represented. And that's what we bring to the table um, and help inform and educate. This week's episode of Query is sponsored by Helix Sleep. There's no one on the planet like you, so why buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete. They use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash query and take their two-minute sleep quiz. For couples or for folks who sleep with another human being next to them, you can even split the mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They've got a 10-year warranty, and you can try it out for free for 100 nights. Right now, they're offering $125 off all mattress orders. Whether you're a hot sleeper, a side sleeper, whether you like a plush or a firm bed with Helix, there's no more guessing or confusion. That's $125 off helixsleep.com slash query. Helixsleep.com slash query for $125 off your mattress order. This week's episode of Query is sponsored by Kapari. An easy change that your body will thank you for, switching to aluminum-free coconut deodorant from Kapari. Kapari's coconut deodorant is aluminum-free and vegan. It's free of silicones, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, and baking soda. So it's great for sensitive skin. Their deodorant fights odors with plant-based additives like sage oil and coconut oil. Kapari doesn't leave a sticky white residue, and it outlasts your longest days. Friends, straight up, honestly, big, big thing of mine is getting off of aluminum deodorant. So if you're still using deodorant with aluminum in it, switch over to Kapari aluminum-free deodorant by heading to kaparibeauty.com. That's K-O-P-A-R-I beauty.com slash query to make the safe switch today and save $5 off your first order when you subscribe. What size staff do you have? So we're about 45 people between New York and L.A. We're headquartered in New York, uh, but we have a really robust staff in L.A. as well, as you can imagine. And what about the actual news? Like, I'm I'm wondering what happens. Okay, yeah. so like Fox News says something. Um, they say anything <laughs> so, about our community. <laughs> I mean. They, so, they, so they say anything about our community. Is, is that also something that you respond to? And, and how does that look? What so, does that look like? On a daily basis, we start our day with a with a news briefing every morning where we go through what the news headlines are, what we see coming, any any local stories that we see bubbling up of discrimination or great things that have happened that we want to amplify onto a national level. And we pick what ones we're going to move against for that day. And our news and rapid response team gets behind us and they start talking to journalists and the news media about amplifying or getting Setting, setting setting something straight. Uh, there was a terrible story a few weeks ago coming out of Georgia that was wrong, 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 and it was being fed by an anti-LGBTQ organization. What was that story? Oh, it was a story. I don't even want to repeat the story. Yeah, okay. It was like transphobic, and it was surrounding the bathroom, and it was really wrong and really bad. And so we started to dig into that and realized that it was just coming, it was a made-up story from an anti-LGBTQ organization. And so an MSNBC already had reported on it once. Wow. And so we called them and we're like, there's no foundation. We checked this out. We We dug deep on it too. So we do, you know, journalists also... They are stretched so thin these days yes. that a lot of the legwork that they used to have time and staff to do, they don't have it. So we do a lot of that legwork for them, the research and the findings. Um, That's very interesting. Yeah. So we do a lot of that. So we can see when bad stories are bubbling up that aren't true and don't have a foundation versus stories that do have a foundation are bubbling right. up. Right. I mean, I guess um, like – TV news is no is no longer journalism always you know so what you're talking about is you know there's a there's a 
gap there often now, you know, between like the, you know, the thing that you and I might think of as like hitting the hitting the streets and like (laughs) knocking on doors is now like, uh, can I post this photo? Like like when you're on Twitter and you see the like, I'm from MSNBC. Do I have permission to post this photo? And, you know, like it's we're just using different sources in a really different way. So I'd imagine you'd coming up against this quite a lot. Yeah. I I mean, there's a couple of forces at play, right? One is that um, news and journalism, that arena has, because of social and media and the internet, has really been pushed where it used to, they used to have a lot more researchers on hand. Absolutely. Um, they don't have the same capacity that they used to. News turns around. I mean, what used to be, a story would last for days, for days. Right. Now, if it has a 12-hour cycle, it's a big story. Right. I mean, if you think about how quickly it's moving. And then additionally, on top of that, breaking through um, this administration who dominates the airways on purpose. So this Trump administration, it's Trump TV. Anytime you turn on news, except for local news, it's Trump TV on the cable newses. Um and so trying to break through that is incredibly difficult. It's not the same as it was three years ago in terms of raising up stories and making them a priority and getting that word out through news and journalism. Wow, that's so interesting. Oh, man. Yeah, I knew there was a reason I couldn't watch the news anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty intense. It is. It is very intense. It yeah. is very intense. And um, even the like... Because there's also, if something is a big news story and it's playing for a 12-hour cycle, that doesn't mean that because of, like, funding or because of what keeps eyeballs glued to the TV, it doesn't mean that there's, like, additional research being done. Oftentimes it means a replay of the same clip Mm -hmm. with, like, random tweets pasted on the side. Or it means, like, talking heads coming in that don't necessarily make sense or that will be deliberately inflammatory or what you know whatever it is it's not like it's like the first hour is uh you know the top level of the story and then there's 11 hours of like further in-depth reporting it's like it's almost like the first hour is like the most in-depth and then everything on that is just like a dog pile of nonsense exactly well and i think you know the press has a bigger job at a level than it's ever had before, just as our citizens have a bigger job than they ever signed up for, potentially. Sure. Um, and and that is keeping an administration honest that is, you know, has an allergic reaction to the truth. I've never thought about that before. I think that's such a good point. Yeah. So they're, they're scrambling because a, a, the lie cycle is so fast mm-hmm. coming out of this administration that trying to keep it honest and real is, and, and, and it's by design, some would argue. Right. Um, and, and so I, but, you know, I mean, they have a play in that, too. It's like, how much are you going to cover? So I think they're having those debates in their offices and newsrooms as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and it's also it's hard to um, hold on to anything because like when you say the lie cycle, it's also literally like the same sentence can have two different points in it. Yeah. It might even be contradictory. So how do you cover that? Yeah. Very difficult. And I mean, this does absolutely touch our community specifically with this with this administration because i mean i remember when and i know that i know that this is all like to be taken with i know none of it is serious <laughs> like i know he i know he just like whatever but i just remember that and sometimes i repost it that photo where he's like somebody has handed him a pride flag mm. it's upside down mm-hmm. and it says lgbt's for trump yeah like it's pluralized for some yeah. reason um and like his face is also he's doing that face where he's like blustering and it's yeah. it's it's so horrifying and um like i remember i mean during as he was running he was openly saying that he was going to protect queer folks and then at the same time distancing himself from us at every turn so i just mean it's like very hard job for you to have to try to right uh i would guess like yeah to call the president a liar is like a big 
a big task for yes. any organization, for the news or for any organization. It's not really how you want to right. roll. But I do, you know, I so one of the things that we do as part of our news and rapid response is that we we track the attacks from the Trump administration on our community. So at any given point, you can go to GLAAD with two A's, G-L-A-A-D.org, and you can see how many days he's been in office and how many attacks. We're up to 76 attacks. And they're everything from like little things that you might not have heard about, like in a room, um, him saying that he is in favor of businesses hang- hanging signs that says um, that we don't serve gay people to, you know, tweeting out a trans military ban, something that got a lot of attention. Um, And and so I think that it's really important to continue to watch and track and report out on these attacks. That flag that That he is important. That is important. I just have to say also because there is so uh, it's so uh, stressful sometimes to hear from folks who not members of the community like this isn't even like a pressing issue yes. like safety has been had because marriage or you know whatever and so like i'm not even sure he's saying these things so thank you for having a tracker where at least you can be like i'm not making this up right like here's you know here's the proof because he does speak so quickly it's hard to tell well, sometimes whether or not you're making it you know? exactly yeah. if it's a figment of your own imagination and i think that we speak in so many hyperbolics because We've never seen so much of this at such a pace before. And so what I always say to people, too, is that, you know, as he's wrapped in the the pride flag, he's appointing Pence as his vice presidential running mate. And Pence has built a career on pushing LGBTQ people down. And so I think that. What's also really important, and I think I think the confusion was he, he Trump. You know, if you're a New Yorker, you kind of know Trump, Trump pre presidency, pre running, and he was, you know, he was just a loud mouth around New York City, but he was kind of, you know, progressive. I almost want to say like laissez faire, like yeah, that. That to me is like what I would... should live their lives. Exactly, he absolutely was. Um, in in those days in New York City, like he wanted to live his life and run around doing whatever he wanted to do with multiple wives and affairs and all of that. And he wanted everybody thought he thought everybody should be left alone to do whatever they it was their lives. Um, it's not until he sort of started going down this track that he he really started to hone in on targeting marginalized people. And he's done that from, you know, the beginning of running. I mean, that's how he launched, right? right. With the, well, the Mexican statement that he had to say about, you know, I, I can't even remember it now. but Oh, rapists. Yeah. Yes. He was calling Mexican people rapists. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it's only gotten worse and worse and worse. So I think it's it was surprising and he caught people off guard um, because he, in New York, he was known as kind of not caring, you know, like let people live their lives. Right. I mean, with the exception of a very public record on racism, specifically racism. towards black folks. Absolutely. Um, Always and, a racist. Yeah. As <laughs> you know, I mean, from an ad in The New York Times to yeah. um, his housing practices as a landlord. Yes. So it's it's an interesting thing because, you know, I also think as as white people, you know, I reflect on, because mm. that's what I thought about him yeah. too. You know, like, this is a laissez-faire guy. And then also I'm having to do a little bit of self-examination on that's what I thought of him. But, like, yeah. <laughs> just Absolutely overtly racist. racist. Yeah. And also, like, um, misogynistic in a weird um, I mean, we we all know who he is now, but I mean, prior to the like tapes, just misogynistic in like a weird uh, like Playboy era oh, yes. way that was also kind of normalized for me, even as a kid, like yes. growing up looking at him. I'm like, this is like a normal part of our culture. And it definitely shouldn't be. You no. know, like I just mean like that's shouldn't, a weird thing that, yes. to also have accepted about him, where yes. I, you know, because he's like in Home Alone 2 or whatever he's in that I'm just right. like, so he's just like fine. He's, you know, and so anyway. Uh, good job making yourself seem uh, 
relatively fluffy, yes. despite all of that stuff that we, that we knew. And now, I mean, from relatively fluffy to really dangerous. Yes. You know, yeah. it's it's fascinating. I mean, he was really dangerous then, too, especially around the Central Park. Is, yes. You know, five. That, right. Yeah, that was, that. I remember that as a kid in New York. Wow. Yeah. What do you remember about it? I just remember um, this group of kids being really targeted. Yeah. Um. And I don't think I was conscious or woke enough in my—I was little to understand, but I understood. Like, they didn't have a fighting chance because of the color of their skin and, and the world that we they, we were living in. Um, so I, I kind of sort of got the social ramifications of that, but not—I couldn't explain them to you back then. Um, but I do think, you know, what's so important is that there are moral leaders in this country, and it's the citizens who are standing up and speaking up at this time. Mm-hmm. And it is we cannot wear out and we cannot tire. We need to take breaks for ourselves. But this is the fight of our lives, in my opinion. Sure. Oh, I mean, and I also had, you know, I have so many, ooh, I have like so many directions this could go. But one thing I was wondering is if you are. Because this is also, you know, in my lifetime at least, I haven't seen such a split between a uh, president and the party that yeah. he is saying he's a part of, like Congress, and that there there isn't truly a connection in mm-hmm. a lot of the things that it doesn't mean I'm not like excusing Congress because mm-hmm. like they should be doing more uh, to they should be doing everything to denounce yeah. everything that's being said here, but I just mean I wonder. Have you seen any outreach from, like, for instance, the Republican Party that isn't Trump? Has that happened at all? Like, I'm just curious if you've seen any of that during this the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting is that one of the things that we're working on at GLAAD with a coalition um, is a constitutional amendment that we've been talking about. Yes. And uh, working with the ERA coalition. So this would be an all-inclusive constitutional amendment that would include people of color, women, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, in an all-inclusive sort of level-setting constitutional amendment. And that is one thing that I've heard uh, from the Republicans, some from some influential Republicans, that that is something that they could get behind, um, because it would hopefully end these debates once and for all. Um, and and we we spend a lot of time and energy fighting social issues, mm-hmm. and um, when we could, if we took that energy and put it towards things um, that that were less about, you know, taking away someone's humanity and more about building the future of this country and this world, I think we'd be in a much better position. And we feel that the at first blush, we've seen a lot of positivity around that. Wow, I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm and I'm glad that I asked that question to know that because I think it's very easy to get down this path of, you know, assuming that I don't live in every district, so mm-hmm. I can't elect every representative. Right. And it's very easy to get, go down this path of assuming that, you know, it, the the entire everyone on the right is um like a lost cause because mm-hmm. that's the current like leader of the party is mm-hmm. is this president. And I think and I don't want to this is not excusing anybody because there mm-hmm. are many other issues where I where it's just, you know, awful and I but I feel like it's good to remember that the constituents in who live in those districts could call upon their representatives, even if they didn't vote for them, to support something like that. And mm-hmm. that 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 means something like it's still it's still action we can take as citizens. Yes. And I think it's something um, what I love about this constitutional amendment, when I talk about it, people get really excited about it because it's something positive. It's, yeah. it's not um, it's it's something additive. And sure. And I think um, people want to be part of something positive. It feels like a lot of fighting these days. Um, and people want to build a better tomorrow, ultimately. And I and I think that if we could stop fighting and start working together, we could get in a much better place as a country and as a community. 
Yeah, I mean, I think some of the fighting is <laughs> if you knew somebody was behind a, <laughs> a constitutional amendment that said you were a person, yes. it might be easier to not fight so much. And right. I think that's something that, you know, when I hear that, folks saying like, oh, it's like, you know, just there's so much partisan fighting. And then you and I both, I'm sure, have the same opinion about that. I'm so sure many people in marginalized communities are just like, well, we're fighting for our lives. You right. know, like it's so it's very difficult to you know, care as much about your tax rate as it is about just, like, right my right to exist and be a person. Right. And so I think what you're talking about would, yeah, I mean. Yeah. So hopefully, I you know, it's interesting because after the, you know, we won't be erased, which happened a couple of weeks ago with the trans community and potentially just writing them out of um, existence, the idea or the concept of that. I was texting with a really prominent trans influencer at the end of the week, like at, on the Friday night, just saying like, how are you? Like, I know what I, I, I can imagine. I've been there, um, what that must feel like. And um, they wrote back to me publicly, optimistic, privately, terrified. And I thought, yeah, I think so many of us are are scared. And that's where the fight comes from. Yes, exactly. Is that we know we're marginalized. We're, you know, we know what it feels like to live on the outskirts of society and to not be accepted and to potentially be, you know, targeted because of who we are. And um, it's a scary country for that right now. And so hopefully in these midterms, we can turn that around, though. Let's hope yes. that is the hope. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm also curious, you know, and this is a this is an optimistic question. This is a future-focused question. Like, what would you like to see, you know, as somebody that I'm sure has a, a pretty good awareness of, like, everything that we're seeing today on TV or movies, what, if you could just say, and this is very on the spot, but is there something that you, like a story or type of uh, a person who, you know, has a specific identity that you just feel like that's where, that's what I want to see more of on TV or that's what I want to see more of in the movies? So I, um, it's not a hard question for me because I live and breathe this every day. <laughs> and my dream is the trans will and grace. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I think will and grace and, and people point to will and grace so often, like Joe Biden has pointed to will and grace. I think so many people point to will and grace as, as a real game changer for them and understanding LGBTQ people or, or gay people, I should say. And I think because it marries um, it marries seriousness with comedy. And I think that if... Um, you know, oftentimes comedian, you're a comedian. You would know this better than me. Sure. And maybe you could. Are you about to say um, oftentimes comedians are the best? They are the best. <laughs> but but making people laugh opens you, right? Yes. Like you're vulnerable when someone makes you laugh You're and you're lighter and you're receptive. And so I think bringing comedy to a really intense fight could help open people's hearts and minds is ultimately what I'm saying. And so I think that could be an enormous bridge that that we need. I think that's such a good point because it is, I also noticed, you know, that you know a particular community has reached a certain point um, when they get to not just be the sad. Right guest stars <laughs> right like when they're not just only on svu you know yes. like, like when they well, when that community yeah, gets to that is a problem um gets yeah. to be a part and you know i so that so that makes a lot of sense because when you when you get to comedy it means that like you think that this community has enough light and enough uh um chance of survival that you can joke around about it but you also can use comedy to break down stereotypes. Oh, for sure, yeah. Right? And so it gives you an opportunity to talk about the untalkable or what seems offhand. That's right. Um, or out of reach. And it gives you the, it opens that door. Comedy yeah, like does so much. does that so well. Oh, my yeah. God. It's so great. Blackish. Yeah. 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 And Will and Grace did that for. Absolutely. 
gay people. Absolutely. Um, and so I'd like the the blackish, the will and grace for the transgender nonconforming community. Oh, that's um, I'm I. This is a great idea. Uh, let's Go talk write about it. it. Let's talk about it <laughs> off air. Um, and you know the other thing that I. Well, yeah, I mean, yes. I also, this is very particularly important to me. And I really think that, to your point, it's one way that things could change. I, I feel very strongly about um, accuracy in casting and in writing. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, I am very, I just, I am, it's very important to me that LGBT characters are played by LGBT actors. It's, it's very important to me. And I think we're getting a little bit better on understanding for trans folks why this is important. I mean, we should we should be all the way there because mm -hmm. this isn't like a famous um, male actor wearing a skirt because that's it does it does a lot to perpetrate violence against trans women. You know, if you always portray a trans woman as a recognizable male actor in a skirt, then for folks who don't know trans people, this is assumed to be a, a man in a skirt. That's not what this, that's not who this person is. And that, um, that it leads misunderstanding, to violence. misunderstanding leads to violence. It leads to shame for yes. folks who are interested in dating trans mm -hmm. women. You know, like there's, there's, there's so much to that. So mm -hmm. I, I really see that that's important. I also think it's important um, because I notice, you know, that folks in the LGBT community, like, you know, um, oftentimes we look queer. Mm -hmm. We have queer haircuts. Right. Or um, we know how to kiss right. other queer folks. So right. I just mean like when I look at a – sometimes I look at a show and it's like and it's like a lesbian character and I, I feel like we don't yet talk enough about how important it is for that to be a lesbian actor. Mm -hmm. Like it really is important and mm -hmm. part of that is because like – you know, if it's a if it's a straight actor again, that's like inviting male gaze, and it's, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, she's putting this on. You know, this is an act, right? And so therefore, then that transfers to lesbians in the world. Like maybe we're all putting this on. Maybe this is all an act. And to me, that's an issue that I really am passionate about. That I know you already, that Glad already talks a lot about is specifically for trans folks. But I think it's important for, and like the person writing the book about the gay kid. I, mean, I think should be a gay person. This is, you know, I I think this is about a lot of, I hope to get there. Right. It's important I, to me. I, I think in all our work, whether we're acting or we are, you know, at a desk job, we bring our experience and our life there. Thank you. Right? You are exactly saying what I was saying in 75 minutes. Yes. <laughs> but I think also um, what's important is that we... Um, I I dream of a world where women and men and gender nonconforming people can go for the same role. Me Why too. are we so gendered in this world? Everything is so gendered. Like, and I think, um, you know, I it, there are certain roles that only Tom Cruise can play. Why can't women go for that role? Why does it always have to be that guy? And um, I think that's the world to aspire to. Um, and these are steps on the way there. But that an actor is an actor. And I you think can that's be awesome. I love that. Whoever you, you know, you can be gender nonconforming. You can be a male. You can be a trans woman. You can be a woman, whatever. You're all people. And you're going for roles, and it's the best actor wins. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good point. I also have had that experience, like just to say, like I, I have had that experience. I've been, I've played roles that I think were um, either originally for dudes, or I've, I've played roles that um, they were like side characters, right? And not written as queer, right? And then I got that role, and then I'm just wearing a motorcycle jacket. It also, I don't know that we even talk about my sexuality right but that's me so i just mean i think there that's there's also room in there for that where it's like you know if the friend is is me then that is also kind of a cool absolutely way of doing what you're talking about you know like maybe maybe it needs to work from both sides because sometimes you do need 
it to say in the casting description, like, this is a black woman. Otherwise, no black woman will be seen. So we'll work on it from that end, you know. And then on the other end, we'll work on uh, black women can be seen for every role. You know, and and it'll meet in the middle, hopefully. I always think of Hamilton. I don't think it got gender right. Mm. But I think it got a lot of other things right. Sure. And if... If you have watched Hamilton or seen it on TV or seen clippets of it, it's like George Washington is a man of color and you don't even blink twice about it. Right. And so it's I think that um, what happens in that is we're lifted above the people and into the story. And that's what really good acting does. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. I'm with you. Yeah, so I don't know. That's the dream. Yeah, um, I hope I hope this dream comes true. And then that opens doors for everyone. That's right, right? Like George Washington doesn't have to be a white guy. Um, no, he didn't even have to be a white guy. Let's go back and change it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be complicated. Well, before I send you back uh, into your day, I just wanted to ask you to shout out a queero, which is like person or a place or thing that made you feel comfortable being the person you are today ah a queero uh i think you know oh that's a i could answer that in many different ways Um, i'm i'm here for all of it um lay any of it on me i think probably my parents for accepting me even though they're not queer um but they're queer accepting and um, but if I had to go for like a strong queero, I would go always back to Melissa and Ellen, my ladies. Um, you know, when I heard "Yes, I Am" or whatever it's called, <laughs> the worst with names. Um, but Melissa's album, I was like, oh my god, what am I doing with my life? And I came out very shortly after that. But I think they helped pave the way. I mean, they were there first in my world um and in my life cycle of a young queer kid um, oh man in my senior year in college have you gotten to meet like everybody you ever wanted to meet that is a queer person i just realized that that's probably true for you <laughs> it is it's kind of amazing it's amazing i'm working on it i'm getting there i've, yeah. got, I've still got some like um but that matters to me. Our history matters to me so much and yeah. all the folks that open the doors and like, yeah, uh, that makes me. Who put everything on the line, mm-hmm. everything on the line. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you remember, it's interesting because you were saying like you only want queer people to play queer people. and and But if you remember, there was a day when straight actors wouldn't play queer actors. Yes, yes. And so. As glad we were back in those days fighting for straight actors to play queer <laughs> roles because no, that, hear that quote unquote normalized it, and it did. Yeah, I mean, so and, it's like, and like it's so thank interesting. You, I love it, and I feel like it's no, but <laughs> thank I, you, I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I just I feel like you know where where we continue to move is like okay, so now we've had like a character on TV that you know says that they're queer. Okay, now like. I'd like to see some more, um, you know, set dressing. Like, I'd like it to actually look a little bit more like our lives. And that it's mm-hmm. very exciting to be in a place where, like, that's what you can call for. Is like, okay, well, now there's, like, you know, we went through, like, the sweeps week uh, where, <laughs> like, Allie was kissing Ling on Allie McBeal. Like, what's next? You know, yes. like, so I just feel like, um, yeah, it is, it's good to be. We never even used to have that many queer actors, you know, like if you think about it. So, I mean, uh, certainly not queer actors who said that they were queer. Well, so I feel like we we live in a, I guess that's why it's like we're moving more and more towards, um, hey, these are people that actually exist. Like that's, yeah, (laughs) literally like that is the whole sentence, right? It's just like these are people that actually exist and you chip away at that from a bunch of different directions and it takes a bunch of different years and for you know you're doing it through the media and other people are doing it through you know a zillion oh, ways and, and yeah. literally that's the whole thing that we're all trying to prove is lit we already exist yes we already exist yes and, and we always have yes and we always will <laughs> and we always will even if you try and erase us yep. we will prevail yep yeah, there it is. Ooh, do you know what? I think I have goosebumps. Aww. I think I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank Good. you so much, Sarah Kate. It was so great talking to you. Thank you. And thanks for the work really, that you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. 
This week's episode of Query was sponsored by Wild Thing, a feminist fashion brand that's here to take down the patriarchy and is committed to giving back. This year alone, they saved, kept open, the only abortion clinic in South Dakota. Friends, a purchase of every purchase at wildfang.com goes to charity and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to fight for your rights. They also have good clothes, like button downs, jackets, sneaks, all that stuff you love. Go to wildfang.com, that's W-I-L-D-F-A-N-G.com, use the code QUERY for 25% off. That's basically free. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, Yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, (laughs) Jazos. Ruler of the eighth circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.